Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. With Metro and the best deal in wireless, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line, period. With taxes and regulatory fees included every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. 5G access requires capable device. Coverage not available in some areas. See Metro by T-Mobile.com or store for details. Welcome to Giant Size Heroes number 27. If this was a living person and they were famous, I'd be worried they wouldn't see the year out. This oh, is the 27 it's... Club episode of Giant Size Heroes, where Beautiful every number dark joke. <laughs> where every number matters. <laughs> oh. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, let's start on a real up note. There it is, y'all, talking about death. In ten more episodes, we'll be at the fateful number of blowjobs a girl receives in clerks. Uh, gives you clerks. have taken things directly to an R-rated place today on Giant Size Welcome Heroes. Welcome to Giant Size Heroes, where it's it is... It's a classic movie, though. It is very good. 37! Uh, now, I want to say that moments before we went to air, moments after we wrapped Collider Heroes, news broke, giant news, giant the Batman news. So know that if you watched Heroes, it filmed before this news broke. (laughs) Because Andy Tiberius Circus and Colin Tiberius Farrell have joined the cast of the Batman (laughs) as Alfred Pennyworth. Or in talks to. One is apparently in talks, which is Andy Serkis, and one is seemingly confirmed. But we're gonna say we're gonna yeah we're gonna go with with negotiations for both for safety. They're both they're both in the in the italics. Uh, but usually when these things are announced on such major publications as Hollywood Reporter and Variety, it's like a ninety percent. So we're gonna we're gonna say it's more than likely, Drum and especially place. by Thursday, we've got Alfred Pennyworth, Andy Serkis, and we've got the Penguin, Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell. Now from the beginning. I have said, don't cast a stereotypical penguin. And penguin should be a criminal. Penguin should be a mobster. From the beginning, I said, I would like to see the Riddler as Jonah Hill because I want to see a criminal play the penguin. And they gave me Colin Farrell. And I'm very excited. Amy has a face that that betrays. There's (laughs) no part of this that makes a ton of sense right off. Oh, it all makes sense. Okay. What Colin Farrell movies have you seen? Have you seen In Bruges? Yes. He can handle comedy. Have you seen his uh, incredible – oh, what was his movie? Uh, there's a movie he did in Ireland that was part of the Irish film lottery because movies are, are tricky to get made in Ireland, and I love it. It's got Kevin Spacey in it, which is always unfortunate. Uh, where – hold on. It's very good, and he plays like a great like scummy criminal, which I could see leading to an organized criminal. I think he plays a great criminal, very charming, very handsome. Uh, so here's the thing about uh, – and, and I'm look, I'm excited for whatever this turns out to be. Uh, and, oh, it's called Ordinary Decent Criminal. That's funny. Oh, nice. Uh, so here's the struggle with casting the Penguin in any form for me. You don't necessarily want to lean just straight into a, this person physically resembles comic book Penguin uh, because 
like that can be its own complicated can of worms. And they tried something really interesting, different with uh, what's his face, Robin Lord Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, on Gotham that people really loved. Uh, you d- and I, I got where you were coming from on sort of being like Joan Hill as the Penguin didn't read to you because it both felt too obvious and uh, lacking the qualities that make him the Penguin. But there is something about the Penguin that is he is in part. I've always thought of him as in part driven to cruelty out of this uh, overcompensating desire to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. The Penguin is someone who always comes to the table with something that makes you not take him seriously or it feels like the world doesn't take him seriously. Usually he's undervalued by his family. Um, In some iterations, he has an unconventional physicality that makes people look down on him or not take him seriously. And those are both part of his motivation for villainy and the the manner of executing his villainy. There are some villains who can trade on looking perfect for their villainy who can be like, I'm the cool, smooth, handsome, walk-into-any-room villain, and they bring a different energy to that because the person who has evil intentions and can smoothly walk into so many rooms is capable of and interested in a lot of things on one hand. The person like the Penguin, who needs to brutally murder a bunch of people before gang members will take them seriously, um, but is absolutely willing to do that, uh, and, and once done will be like, we are throwing a fancy party, I'm going to look fabulous at it, any jokes will be rewarded with death. You know, it, there's that energy to the Penguin that I'm curious because I, I, it's hard to see Colin Farrell playing like the underdog who struggles to get taken seriously in that way. Sure. Um, but I do think he's a very talented actor, so yeah, I'm on board to see what this is. For me, Colin Farrell has, uh, has the, the Brad Pitt curse. Uh, where they're both... Too conventionally handsome for the character actor parts they should probably be playing. Literally that. It is that they're both character actors trapped in stupidly hot bodies. (laughs) Like, Colin Farrell hates the gym. Colin Farrell hates the roles he gets a lot of times because he gets stuck in these things. Colin Colin Farrell's a character actor. And, like, Brad Pitt's the same. You put Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys, he is having a way better time than seven years in Tibet, and that's why there's... Those are two different movies, both with numbers and them one's good. So <laughs> I think that Colin Farrell being uh, – It was fine. It was – exactly. 12 Monkeys wasn't fine. Seven years, fine. But <laughs> Colin Farrell, when he's given the chance, which is why I think In Bruges is a great example of – In Bruges is, I, in my opinion, my favorite comedy. So I have a strong bias. But In Bruges is a movie – I haven't movie, seen it in years. I remember loving it. It but. rests on the power of Colin Farrell's eyebrows alone. Like it, it's a movie with brilliant dialogue but only works if you have thespians playing these parts. Like mm-hmm. it is it is a movie that is just people sitting in rooms talking mostly and then an action set piece. So I want a role like this for Colin Farrell because it satisfies that character actoriness but also gets him to do a movie where he can do another 10 indies that I can see alone because no one else <laughs> sees the Colin Farrell obscure movies in these indie theaters. Like I love me some like random Lemley Colin Farrell movie and I like when actor like when Jake Gyllenhaal took Mysterio I was like oh good I get to see Jake in a bunch of indies again. Like I was more excited for Mysterio's like wake than necessarily like I'm a little blockbuster That's a fatigued. Lie. You love Mysterio. Oh, I love, I love, love, love Mysterio. But I like, I, w- I didn't want Jake Gyllenhaal in another blockbuster as much as I wanted the paycheck that allowed him to do what he does after. <laughs> like, and I, I think he nailed Mysterio in a way that I didn't expect. But this announcement to me, it's not so much about Colin Farrell the way people see him. It's I. This will give him a big enough platform for more people to see him the way I think he wants to be seen. Hmm. So that's my excitement because he's a character actor. Can we talk about Alfred? Yes. Okay. So Alfred, traditionally British. Andy Serkis, traditionally not British. Uh, I <laughs> but do with think... a remarkable transformation ability, I guess this time he was like, we're going to leave my face alone and change the sound. I'm trying something new. I'm Andy Serkis. 
Uh, get out of my way. I will not be um, wearing dots. I'll be speaking in a cadence that I'm not used to. And I, I honestly, to a certain, you know, I have a, similar to you wanting Colin Farrell to have nice things, um, <laughs> we're all in a place of like, you know, Andy Circus has, like, did us all a wonderful uh, favor with his performances so far in his career. And at this point, I'm ready to let him do whatever he wants. I'll also say on a personal note, uh, Andy Serkis is the kind of director and actor that will, even when a red carpet is ending, will go late to his premiere to talk to the press because he's so proud of his work. Really? Uh, yeah, I did, re- so I did the red carpet for Mowgli, and they were closing down the red carpet, and it was him and Christian Bale at the end. The rest of the cast had gone in except for Christian Bale and Andy Serkis, who were talking to each and every person. That's sweet. And, like, I will always remember those moments. Like, you are generally just here because you love the work you made. So, for me, Andy Serkis is like, well, I, you always get my money. Uh, and Colin Farrell I've met a number of times, and he is one of the most darling human beings on the actual planet. Like, that I know even casually or very well. Like, even, like, family Colin Farrell's amongst the sweetest people I know. Mm. Uh, he is someone who quietly donates to a lot of charities, someone who quietly does a lot of things for his local community, someone who quietly is just the best. Once again, too handsome. People don't buy it. Uh, so <laughs> I am very excited for both of these people. So maybe because... he's going to bring the, I struggle to be taken seriously because I'm too handsome. <laughs> and maybe I'm acting out his Penguin backstory right now. It would be unconventional, but sure. Give me that Zoolander prequel Penguin movie. You know, <laughs> I, uh, it's just like I, I always love when actors that I've encountered in, in personal and like friendly settings get work that I think that they want for multiple reasons. Here's the problem. Uh, I love hearing about the people that you have reasons to know are sweethearts and I never ever want you to stop people are going to notice the day that somebody gets cast and you're like that person got cast well moving on <laughs> it's like when I don't review a movie sometimes my tutor's just like hey Coy what'd you think of that what'd you think of that and I'm like don't notice that I didn't respond cause like it's not that I actually love everything it's that I talk about the things I love yeah don't give away our secrets I'm just That's saying d- certainly not what we do at all man oh man do I love the cast of Colin Farrell and Andy Serkis in the Batman <laughs> But now we've got Paul Dano as the Riddler, who I haven't met. Might be lovely. Uh, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, which is a delightful casting choice. I'm very intrigued by. And, of course, the man that I have been shepherding as the Batman since 2017, Robert Pattinson Pattinson. So this cast, (laughs) I am just all about. Uh, I'm also really excited to see what Colin Farrell does with Matt Reeves. Uh, I love the performances Matt Reeves gets out of his actors. Um, and I and he hasn't done a blockbuster like this in quite some time. Uh, Colin Farrell's last few movies were tiny, tiny, tiny indies, um, except for Dumbo, which I don't consider existing. You may have not heard me talk about it. Pretty sure um, that's a movie. Nope, didn't happen. Uh, like, Roman J. Israel was was a reasonably small budget. Uh, Killing of the Sacred Deer was tiny. Back in 2017, he was in Fantastic Beasts. And then for some reason, they decided that Johnny Depp <laughs> will play some. He hasn't done a franchise in the last couple of years except for Fantastic Beasts and He's Dumbo. He's in the movie, and then they have Colin they Look, have, I'm just saying. They have Johnny Depp replace him, which was the dumbest thing that movie could have done. How are you going to go, like, look at this great cast villain and then we Speaking accidentally... Speaking of, and now let's move on. Then, yep, you're right. Some <laughs> people, I'm not excited to get cast in things. Uh, great Hunter S. Thompson, though. Now, we also <laughs> have the news that didn't break right before the air to get to. I could talk about these two casting announce rumors I know. for the whole show. Because, man, actually, it's probably for the best that broke after Heroes. Because it would have been 25 minutes of justice. Those already yes. stacked Heroes. Like, there was no way we could have squeezed in two other giant stories. <laughs> uh, expect... Next week's Collider Heroes on Tuesday to be me just like looking at pictures of Colin Farrell somewhat bisexually. Uh, (laughs) Now, we also this week had Joe Rogan 
headed Norton on. Now, if you guys know Coy, you know that those things, that sentence is very exciting. Joe Rogan had Ed Norton on to talk about Motherless Brooklyn. And, and this is a whilst... thing I'm not super familiar with, but Joe Rogan is a podcast guy. You, I, I understand. Joe, and okay. a fighting guy. Joe Rogan. Now, this is going to be slightly controversial. Uh, Joe Rogan is me in 20 years. Joe Rogan is a, an acid-fueled lover of UFC that also loves uh, like to actually work out and do all these things, that enjoys long-form conversations that challenge the way he sees the world and gains intelligence by talking to anyone and everyone, both sides of the aisle, both sides of intelligence, both sides of everything, which is exactly where I want to be in 20 years. Like he's, I look to Joe Rogan as like, he's my Charizard. Like I, I'm, I'm Charmander okay. right now. I think I'm not Charmeleon, but like I'm somewhere in there. But Joe Rogan's like done the damn thing. Well, I'm not uh, not super familiar, so I will evaluate whether uh, I uh, think that this person deserves Koi's uh, future evolution goals. I, I appreciate that. I'm just saying right now he's my spirit animal. Maybe I'll evolve into him. Uh, big Joe Rogan fan. Spoiler alert. Now, he had Ed Norton on this week, and Ed Norton is nothing if not a thespian's thespian. So he was describing Hulk in a way that I thought was fascinating. Did you read this quote? I did. I love this. Okay, so the quote is, Hulk is Prometheus, right? The guy who steals fire from the gods for people but gets burned doing it and is cursed. He's trying to take the power of nature back out to people and he gets burned. That's how I thought about it. If we could do something like that that leans into this guy who thinks he's going through, going through something good that's going to help humanity and he cracks open the backside of God and takes something out that's not meant to be taken out and now he's cursed. And that's what's amazing. Even if the show was silly on so many levels, Bill Bixby was cursed. And there's something pretty heavy in that, pretty cool in that, and I think it was really worth a crack. I love Mark Ruffalo. I love Mark Ruffalo's Hulk. I think Mark Ruffalo's Hulk is better suited to the MCU than Ed Norton's Hulk, and especially this take on Ed Norton's Hulk. But what I wouldn't give for a Joker-esque side mission Ed Norton Hulk movie that's this. Mm. Like, this sounds when like— When we meet Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, they very much are playing on a, this is I am a guy who is cursed. Yeah. Like, because he is wandering the earth trying to do good like Bill Bixby. He's doing 100%. doctoring. Like, it— uh, it, it, it is interesting because what what I love about the quote is that it does make it feel like he gets the character. I don't necessarily find that to be missing from other stuff. It does make me hunger for more Hulk stories, though. To me, the the Mark Ruffalo Hulk is uh, is a lot more about the the containing your own perspective in order to be a team player, hmm. whereas this to me is more. Greek archetypal, literally. This is this to me is bigger. I love uh, that application to the Atomic Age origins of the Hulk character. What's interesting is that like bringing the power of nature back to people is a little difficult to understand when you're like, all right, splitting the atom uh, in is generally in, it's about pushing science forward, but it's connected. I, it's connected to warfare, but it's connected to energy. So I guess you can sort of say like. Uh, in in the time where like atomic power plants seemed like a perfect step forward that would help everyone, that kind of rolls into that. Um, but certainly, like uh, looking to mythology for inspiration for these things is absolutely appropriate. It's what I think is missed by a lot of people who reject comic book storytelling that myths have power, that symbols have power. Um, and uh, so I, I love that this was the way he thought about it because absolutely. Uh, a person cursed by those choices is is a great way to look at it. I feel like uh, the Joker we Joker. Oh, that's the next story. The Hulk we got with Mark Ruffalo was like Mark Wade Hulk, whereas this sounds more like the Joe Bennett uh, Al Ewing current Immortal, immortal Hulk. Hulk. 
Like, so to me, it's, it's they're both Hulk, and they're both incredible. But to me, I'd love to see, like, the Immortal Hulk wouldn't work in the Avengers. Now, does this Ed Norton description track with the other versions he said where he wanted him to be, like, the psychedelic guy who can handle the trip thing? To me, it does. Can it sounds more those? like the second movie. Because okay. to me, it sounds like he bit off more than he could chew. He was trying to do this great thing, and then he has to find a way to channel that into staying calm so he doesn't break humanity. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is still that Terrence Malick Hulk I want. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would, I would love... So wait, which comes first, Prometheus uh, side of Hulk or psychedelic side of Hulk, or do you do them both at the same time? I think Prometheus happens first, and that causes him to have to stay in maintenance mode in the second one, which is the which is the Zen like walkabout Hulk. Oh. I think he stays calm through meditation, which is where he has those like out of body yeah. experiences, yeah. and I would have loved that two part. That would have been cool, mm-hmm. but. It's not the way it worked out, and now we know a little bit more about it because of the power of podcasting. (laughs) Speaking of people who may have misinterpreted comic movies, Martin Scorsese decided not to direct the Joker. Uh, He was recently quoted by the BBC saying, I know the film very well. I know Todd Phillips very well. My producer, Emma Tellinger-Koskoff, produced it. I thought about it a lot over the last four years and decided I did not have the time for it. Four years. It was uh, for personal reasons why I didn't get involved, but I know the script very well. It has real energy, and Joaquin, you have re- remarkable work. That's right, folks. Martin Scorsese said a comic movie was remarkable work. We're going to quote him. We're going to hold on to that because we apparently can't talk about anything else. But Martin Scorsese taking comic book movies for the rest of time. He also went on to say, for me, ultimately, I don't know if I make the character the next step in this character developing into a comic book character. He doesn't see if that leap makes sense, he said. Uh, you follow, he develops into an abstraction. It doesn't mean it's bad art. It's just not for me. The superhero films, as I've said, are another art form. They are not easy to make. There's a lot of very talented people doing good work, and a lot of young people really, really enjoy them. So, Martin Scorsese, through the power of six seemingly arduous weeks of being broken down and shipped away at, is finally now saying, guys... They're not for me, but they're good movies, uh, which is what we've been kind of saying from the beginning. Every time there's been Did a you quote, read his New York Times. It's great editorial. Well, it's, it's I, interesting. It's, it's very interesting. It's the most positive he's been, and I still argue like if Garth Brooks tell me Eminem sucks, I wouldn't care. Like Garth Brooks can still be great, and Eminem's still great. Like I just I don't care about other people's opinion of art that much. <laughs> like I'm not. <laughs> I what we do was, is give our opinions on I, art and hope that other people like them. But, I just but it's still valid. In that sentence, I was like, there's no more to this sentence. That's literally all I like. <laughs> you ran out of idea right the, there. You're like, oh, that huh, turns out. If there was a video component to this podcast, this was me going like, there's more to this sentence. No, there's not. Live. Like, I don't really. I could see it. Yeah. I don't like, I don't listen to, to other people's takes on art. And I've I, learned a lot from good uh analysis and criticism and thinking on things. So I do love other people's opinions on things. I get a lot out of that, uh, it, depending on the person and the thing and whether I'm already interested. Um, I, I love the way it can make me see something I hadn't noticed in a film. I love the way it can make me uh, make connections in an artist's work that I had missed. Do you do it pre or post? Mostly post. That's the uh, same, I mean, but that's different. I, I'll read an analysis, but I won't read a criticism. If I, if I didn't like something, then I'm done with it forever. Like, I don't need to delve into something I didn't enjoy, which is why I don't do right. that. Like, I mean, occasionally it can be interesting, like, to, to sort of look at it, it. You can learn a lot from examining things that didn't work in the same way that you can learn a lot from examining things that did. Totally. And that's, that would be the only reason I would sort of, like, dive into something I didn't enjoy. I've um, loved the behind the scenes stuff in Josh Trang's Fantastic Four because of the things it almost was. Mm-hmm. So I, there I would do that. But, like, this is an example of Martin Scorsese saying, like, not my thing, not my thing, stop asking me, which is totally different to me than analyzing something in post. Yes, uh, and I obviously defend as as we have said consistently. He has every right to say they're not for me. Uh, it 
it is a little disingenuous to pretend that people would have to work to be offended by his cinema comment, which the new editorial, he's like, if people insist on interpreting it that way, I can't stop them, uh, which is true, but also a little bit like, you said they weren't cinema. <laughs> he, he, I, uh, I'm not I mean, defending I don't know that. what to do with that. Um, but I, I loved his explanation of what he loves about movies. That was lovely. Um, his comprehensive thoughts on Marvel movies while admitting he has not seen most Marvel movies. Not a great Not a good look, beginning. Not a good look. It's not a great foundation for analysis. Uh, but, you know, he's allowed to have lots of opinions. And the, the interesting thing, the reason I'm glad you put this quote in the rundown today uh, was that he really pinpoints... Like, he's trying to pinpoint the place where he's not on board. And one of those, to me, really, uh, the he thinks a comic book character is an abstraction. And to an extent, like, characters are just characters. Comic book characters are comic book characters. Book characters are book characters. Movie characters are characters. Like, puppets are characters. You know, it, it's... And the idea of an abstraction only makes sense for me if what I assume he means is that he is not interested in mythological stories, in fantasy mm. stories, in non-real elements of stories. Sure. And, of course, as we know, non-real elements of stories are a huge part of storytelling in every time and place and culture. Going back to Hercules, like going back to Prometheus, um, these are like some people get excited about mythological possibilities in storytelling and other people are not excited by that. Mm -hmm. I feel we can say he probably is not excited by that. Um, but, like, it is... I don't know. It's just a weird... A comic book character, and I'm doing air quotes, uh, as an abstraction is a very, I think, unintentionally revealing sentence in terms of an approach to storytelling and an approach to filmmaking uh, because it it's just an interesting mental leap. When he says, you follow? And it's like, well, I, I, I maybe do follow, but I'm not sure you're saying what I think you thought you were saying. What, what I find interesting is his – my favorite movie of his is The Departed, and I know that's not his best movie. It is my favorite of his movies. I like it a lot. And I think that's an important distinction because I can, I can qualify what is best in the sense of filmmaking that most people share and what is my favorite as totally different things. Mm. I am a SWAT defender. SWAT is fantastic. Also starring Colin Farrell, now with the Penguin. Uh, <laughs> So I, it's all relative, right? So what's funny to me is The Departed is probably his most comic booky film. The Departed is like there are there's that rat joke at the end, like super hijinks happen. There's a lot of tongue in cheek humor, a lot of things that his quotes about Marvel movies are like we wouldn't do that, and I'm like, bro, The Departed's not realistic. So it's really interesting that he's trying to be like I make these pieces of cinema, and I'm like, man, the movie that made like the most money of yours are the ones that are veering away from these quotes. So I think that. It's hard to see your own work a certain way. It's hard to have opinions on your own things. And it's also really hard when it's become such a news cycle that he keeps having to retread it to not contradict himself. So I'm glad he's at least trying to play nice. But I don't defend him saying they're not cinema. They are obviously cinema. Uh, in fact, oh, accidental great tangent. Ooh. In fact, the listeners of this show, I don't know if you listen to uh, or read Chip Zdarsky, but Chip Zdarsky's got a newsletter, and this isn't in the rundown because it just came in while I was eating lunch before the show. Ooh. Do you subscribe? I am, but I haven't read this yet. It just came in. Okay. Now, the most important answer to the question of Martin Scorsese's cinema comments last week happened, and that was, of course, that incredible quote we got. Uh, who was the incredible quote by last week? The one uh, Viola Davis. Viola Davis's quote is the actual end of this conversation, but Chip Zdarsky is the denouement. It is the icing on the cake. It is the cherry on top. 
The question, are Marvel Comics cinema? The answer, Chip Zdarsky. A bunch of people are debating the question, are Marvel Comics cinema? In a lot of ways, it's a question that defines our times, which are stupid. Now, I'm clearly an expert <laughs> on Marvel Comics, but I also happen to consider myself an expert when it comes to cinema, having watched many movies. In fact, <laughs> if you ever go with me to see a movie, you'll soon discover my expertise as I regale you with really interesting movie trivia throughout the, the screening. That parking lot was also featured in Deadpool 2 as a digital recreation. That actor was in the previous scene. Sounds so, amazing. who better than me to wade in on this topic? There are a lot of things to consider, so bear with me as I hit the my word count. First of all, comics don't move unless you physically move them yourself. Cinema does. In fact, it's one of the defining <laughs> characteristics. Cinema is like watching, moving, and talking giants trapped in a box, whereas comics are like tiny, frozen people trapped in different boxes. <laughs> Second of all, you need to read comics. Cinema doesn't require reading. I know what you're thinking, but Chip... What about movies with subtitles? Well, you got me there. Or did you? I don't believe that movies with subtitles are movies. In fact, I like to call them motion comics. <laughs> but what about the similarities? 50% of Marvel comics feature Spider-Man. And 50% of movies also feature Spider-Man. A movie ticket costs 15 bucks. So does a Marvel comic. Both are consumed with popcorn. I know that these examples make it seem like Marvel comics and cinema are interchangeable. But ask yourself this. Are they? No, they're not. Thank you. That, that, my friends, True is the de- facts with Chip Zdarsky. That is the defining answer to the Martin Scorsese question, and that is in fact Chip Zdarsky. If you don't subscribe to his newsletter, that was a free commercial, Chip. Uh, I hope you listen to this because that was a fucking paragraph we just read. Uh, now, I want to not talk about Scorsese again unless we're talking about uh, the Irishman, but inevitably, somewhat. Uh, Although, side note, in his op-ed, I did love that he took a random, uh, like, in his list of things that he does consider movies, he put uh, Gene Kelly and Stanley Donen, and that made me go down a whole other rabbit hole where I was like, so you accept musicals, but you won't accept superhero (laughs) films? Like, I literally, that's where I live, is in the both of these have heightened non-realistic elements. I'm so confused, Scorsese. Next week, when they inevitably ask Barack Obama, a seating uh, UN summit member, and whoever won the Tour de France, what they think of Mont Scorsese's comments, this will come up again, because no one has anything else to talk about on the planet. (laughs) But, until then, Deadpool 2 almost had the thing in it. And frankly, that should have been the headline story, but all this other news, he says in quotes, had to break. The Thing, the blue-eyed beast from Yancey Street, was the one supposed to fight the juggernaut in Deadpool 2, guys. Tim Miller wanted to include The Thing because Fox owns owned The Thing. We almost we've heard so many things about what this movie was going to be. This is the most heartbreaking. Uh, listeners of the show may know that I do very much enjoy Deadpool two, but I think Deadpool one is another animal. I think Deadpool one is amongst the best comic book movies. Deadpool two is a good comic book movie. Uh, I think the thing it's missing is Tim Miller. Um, so I really really enjoy the action of Deadpool two, but the heart I just feel like wasn't the same. Um, the things they wanted to include are more time of Marina Baccarin, which was something I was missing in Deadpool 2, and her fully becoming copycat and that love story fleshing itself out. Instead, she was killed in 13 minutes or so. So... There's an article on Collider.com, shameless plug, called Tim Miller Reveals His Deadpool 2 Plans, uh, and you should really check it out because it details what his Deadpool 2 very briefly is. It's a very short article, but it makes me long for that script. No, so here's the weird thing. I would have loved uh, Marina Baccarin becoming copycat and also being part of the movie. Uh, But it is interesting, like, having Colossus play the heavy in this did seem like a really natural continuation of what happened in the first movie. Sure. So do you keep them both and somehow make room for one more person in your movie or I think I think what would have happened was Colossus wouldn't have joined the team at the end. Like it would have, he would have joined the team late. Like he would have came and helped as like a last minute save. It would have been the Deus Ex Machina. Mm. But I think like him staying at the school and pouting would have been a little longer. I don't know that there's room to develop uh 
a, a some kind of Ben Wade relationship that makes <laughs> sense in an already crowded movie where you've also got this other stuff going on. Not that know. I'm ever sad to see the thing. I love the thing, but like I don't get their dynamic, and you would need to spend some time explaining to me your vision of that and making me fall in love with them together, which they had already done with Colossus, I to my know. great surprise, in the first movie. <laughs> Truly, I don't know that the movie would have been as convoluted. Like I feel like this. I feel like the Tim Miller movie is very. It's not like this is the one swap. I don't think a lot of the stuff in this movie would have been Tim Miller's movie. That makes sense. I heard over and over again he wanted to make a smaller, more contained, lower budget movie, which to me means a lot of those set pieces but weren't in it. But with the thing fighting the Hulk and possibly also uh, what's his face. Low no budget. Contained. Practically an indie. Uh, but time will tell as we get more details on that. I just will always talk about Tim Miller's Deadpool because it's near perfect. Uh, speaking of cuts of movies that we may never see. Boy, uh, you just put this uh, can of worms right on the rundown, Coy. I just thought, hey, we haven't said the two words that scare everyone on the internet the most. Not Star Wars. Snyder Cut. The other two words. Uh, there is a cut not only of the movie, apparently, according to everyone that's seen it, but Junkie XL, the composer, finished a score, which pretty much sounds like there's a cut of the movie. Um, I just thought I'd poke the bear this week. I just thought, hey. It is an interesting piece of news that apparently uh, there is there exist tracks for a Junkie XL score for the, some version of that movie. You don't do that when you're halfway through production. Like, well, I, it's hard to say what they did or didn't do on this. That's true. Maybe. But like you... I, I personally, in my not being a composer, as we learned last week on Koi Can't Read Music News, uh, <laughs> I would imagine it wouldn't make sense to do when there wasn't at least a timing cut because you're playing with so much emotion and things. Right. We also talked about the Joker, which did have a piece of the score done in time for that incredible dance scene. So there are exceptions to a piece, but this sounds like the score was done. Um, so it's very curious. We also had Jason Momoa, who has said like five times now how much he loves the Snyder Cut. <laughs> uh, I feel like Jason Momoa, anytime he promotes a new production, knows that this will get clicked. So he's like, I'll say the two words that get people over here. It's not okay. Uh, so he once again said it's incredible. He says it's done. Will we ever see it? Well, people are raising money for that very thing. So Snyder Cut, folks. Don't donate money. Sorry, guys. It's That's not how these things work. Uh, make sure that when you donate money, it's going to people who can do things about stuff. Um, that's it. I'm not telling you where to put your affection. I'm just advising you on where to put your money. And that is... You know, potentially, if they make this available, absolutely buy it from Warner Brothers, who should be the ones spending this money, not your money. And your money, if if you want to do something in the vein of the Snyder Cut, they did an amazing donation towards suicide prevention, and that is something that you could that is kick ass. Absolutely, in your head, go, hey, this is something I can help with, and it can be in the same vein. I think that's really that's something you can do uh, because there that is, is no wrong reason to donate money for suicide prevention so ever. Thank so you. that is that is something that I think they have done very well. Uh, we also. And this great quote, I love this quote so much. Robert Pattinson talking about reading comics just reads like someone that's never read a comic and it made me so happy. This um, is also going to be a really fun press cycle because Robert Pattinson is a truly wild, loose cannon interview. He uh, is an and artist. <laughs> he's like like just 25% Andy Kaufman. Uh, I, in the, like he just says things. Um, but yeah, I believe we can take these things seriously. I really appreciate that Robert Pattinson after making all that Twilight money, doesn't have to change. Like, I'm so happy to see an artist just be like, yo, this is who I am. I'm already this successful, and I can talk like this. Like, to me, this is success. 
the way he handles press. I'm so proud of him. Uh, <laughs> so the quote is uh, – let's see here. Turns out Pattinson – sorry, didn't have it highlighted. It's he a said, long next up for Pattinson Thank is you. the Batman. I'm glad I've had quite a lot of time, he said. I didn't realize there were so many Batman comics, <laughs> hundreds and thousands. But I've been reading a lot of those and not really just the kind of classics. I just like reading the sort of individual periodicals. It's nice to kind of see the absolutely contemporary ones. I love this quote right? Uh, in part because literally every – like I was at the dentist the other day and it was like, you know, what do you – like, oh, I work with comics. And he's just like he, – immediately people's first response, he's like, oh, yeah, some of those are quite valuable. And so I have to be like, all right, yeah, so they're still making them. There are new ones. That's the first thing you should probably know. Um, and Pattinson has made that leap. They're still making them. He, he has there seen a comic store or his assistant has and he knows they're still out there. He knows they come out in individual issues. Uh, I love that he's surfing through whatever different things he's checking out. Can I also offer a theory I just got? Because I retweeted something earlier today, and I think this might tie together. Today is Tuesday, but yes. Uh, Today on Tuesday, the 5th, uh, Tom King tweeted out, Secret producer, this is Tom. He writes comic books. Secret movie star, they still make those. Secret producer, apparently. Is Robert Pattinson talking to Tom King about Batman? He's the Batman writer writing the periodicals that t- – like they literally this was the same week news cycle. I don't know. It's not that big of a leap. It's not that big of a the leap. The current writer of Batman tweeted out secret movie star. They still make those mere days after a movie star said currently reading the ones because I didn't know there were hundreds and thousands. Guys, Tom King is consulting on the Batman. You heard it first. Uh, do not Fake put news. an asterisk by Koi's scoop, but there's <laughs> nothing inherently unreasonable about this. I just I, I retweeted it because I said uh, working on this with every episode of comic book shopping. Like I retweeted yeah, it as like absolutely. I'm trying, but now I'm putting it together like that might be the same story. <laughs> That would be so funny. Because, like, he's not just a comic writer. He's the Batman writer. Well, and the, like, some of the absolutely contemporary ones are literally the Tom King Batman right. books. He's uh, writing one of the main titles called although Batman. I feel like if Tom King were coming on an official capacity that Pattinson would have some responsibility to not reveal, he might not casually say, I'm not just reading the classics, I'm reading random new ones, because that could sound almost disparaging to his new collaborator, the guy who's writing the new ones. I don't know if I'm overthinking that. I mean, I can see both sides, but also, it's not like Tom King's not working with the DC film crew because he's on New Gods and David. Right. Movie. It's not so like he's not in these offices. They have met. Yes. But it doesn't like. This... I was joking about consulting. That's my Are dream. Are you though? Because it's not like impossible. it's not impossible, but I'm not. In my pipe dream, it's real, but I don't. <laughs> I'm not confirming it. I'm saying, oh my god, please, uh, because the cat and the bat is not the story they're going to go with. But man, oh man, if Robert Pattinson reads it before me, I'll be pissed. Um, Tom King's cat and bat. I can't wait. Uh, it's okay, Robert Pattinson. Read whatever you want. Um, I just, I really, I really appreciate his candid nature. I'm so much happier to hear an artist is reading a thing they didn't know about than someone pretending to have read it and then come out and been like, oh, I was just kidding. Like, yeah. I hate when I hear that people read comics and then they're like, no. Honestly, it's delightful. Uh, there's a great, there's a classic XKCD comic strip. Uh, you might be familiar. It's the comic strip with stick figures, lots of science mm. jokes, lots of very recognizable stuff. Um, uh, and there's sort of, a, it's almost a cliche now that there's an XKCD for every situation. Um, but the lovely, one of the best ones, one of the all-time classic XKCDs is Today's Lucky 10,000. Do you know this one? No, I don't. Um, and it basically says whenever somebody learns something, you have two choices. Like you can either sort of be shitty about it or you can be excited because the, he works out the math where he's like if there's a given fact and people are a given age, then every day 
10,000 people learn about that fact. I like that. Um, and it was like, so when somebody learns something new, you can either be like, I can't believe you didn't know that, or you can be like, congratulations, you're one of today's lucky 10,000. Oh, I you like that a lot. You got to learn a thing. I like that very much. So Robert Pattinson is one of today's lucky 10,000 people who oh. found out that comic books have hundreds or thousands of Batman stories. I love that And they're so still much. making them. That's the best. And they come out in issues. Those are three facts we literally have to work to teach people, and Pattinson's out there telling the world, thank you, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson, I hereby invite you to comic book shopping. Yeah, please come. I will I will I will show you hundreds and thousands of Batman books. Uh man, that made me real happy. I didn't put that together. That is an excellent point. He is he's doing his own episode of comic book shopping because he's promoting comics, so I am forever indebted. Thank you, <laughs> Robert Pattinson. We also found out this week. We are definitely clearing a billion dollars with the Joker. 100% happening. It is currently at 938 million. That is so much money. That is so much money. That's like you could buy many countries. <laughs> like and this movie costs 50. Like this is truly bonkers. What? So, I mean, this is a movie that had, like, union regulation problems because they ran out of money, so people were peeing on the subway. This is a thing that happened. Everyone forgot. I did forget. That was a thing two years ago. Man. Man. Not a What a news cycle. So, uh, yeah, I'm just fascinated. Be nice to your people. Because sometimes random podcasters remember and bring it up when we're talking about your billion you made. Uh, Yeah, it's going to make a billion dollars. Holy crap. Uh, When we obviously cross that milestone, we will talk about it more. I just didn't didn't know it had slowed down so little. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to briefly talk about – did you read that article, the Collider article about uh, Downey Jr.? Yeah. Isn't that cool? It was great. Okay, tell people tell okay. people what we're talking about. So uh, Collider is running an article right now about the editorial process. We interviewed the editor of Avengers Endgame because cinema has so many moving parts. And personally, uh, Vinny, who wrote this article, thank you. I think it is so – editors are so slept on. Like there's yep. so much that goes into making a movie. And yes, they get Academy Awards. Yes, they are paid for their work. But like people don't think of them. An editor shapes how you feel. Also, side note, Scorsese's out there trumpeting the value of an individual authorial voice for film, which is already kind of a uh, an interesting viewpoint because they should have uh, voices to them. But he is very famously uh, assisted by one of the all-time great cinema editors, Thomas Schoomaker. He's Schumacher. also promoting mm-hmm. being an, a single author while promo- like pimping his producer out in the same art. Like, come on. Anyway, like, they're a collaboration, and it's great, and bless the many, many hardworking people that make it happen. Very important. Now, uh, the editor, his name, I want to make sure I give it some love because I was just talking about how important editors are. Jeff Ford. Uh, Jeff Ford is a longtime editor of the Russos. He worked on the Winter Soldiers, Civil War, and Infinity War. Clearly, shorthand is there. Uh, said to Collider, when we were putting together the end of the movie, when we shot Tony's last moment in the first round, we shot a bunch of different options. Robert had different ideas. We gave him space to do that. Joe and Anthony are great about improv. We shot a run of different performances for that last moment. Some of them were crazy. Some of them would we never, we never would have used, which I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Some of them were jokes. Some of them were obscenities. Some of them were completely emotional, raw, and same things that he was doing, and then some of them were a combination of all three of those things. What we found as we were cutting the scene wasn't so much that we needed a special last line for Robert, but we needed a moment between Thanos and Tony. A moment that some uh, that wasn't some kind of transaction, but literally, this is how I want it to be, and this is how it is. That would give the audience that moment. The exchange where Thanos says, I am inevitable, and Tony says, I am Iron Man. That couplet is what makes that work. When we found Thanos' line, it led us to that Tony's line. We found Thanos' line as part of the structure in the script. He says that line three times in the movie at the beginning, before his head is chopped off. In the middle, he hears himself say it again, and then at the end. That symmetry is also why it's interesting. That was the discovery while we were editing. He 
has a bunch of other great quotes. Yeah, they but, continue on. This is a really wonderful uh, piece of process to learn about in terms of the way a movie constructs meaning. Like, I have tended to come in with sort of a screenplay bias where I'm like, I expect it all to be on the page. Uh, but the truth is, as lots of folks have talked about over the years, that, like, movie making is a process. And those different steps, like the final, uh, the editing assembly is where you create the actual movie in the end. And so the idea, like, it's sort of shocking to be like, a thing like that wasn't in the original thing, but the energy of it was, the foundation for it was, and they completed the story in this, as he describes, incredibly satisfying way. Uh, like, I love... So here's this... This is why I love... And this isn't other people's opinions on movies, but this is the kind of reason that I love to read other people's opinions on movies, because breaking down that call-and-response quality, mm-hmm. that uh, putting forward of an idea and disruption of it inherent in that... We all saw it. We all got it when we watched the movie, but right. I hadn't put it into words, and I'm so glad that they have. But that's not someone's opinion. That's and I true. think that's the distinction. It's like I am not big on other people's opinion. Like I don't read Rotten but Tomatoes. But if a person came along and pointed out to me that they were doing that in the movie, I still would have gotten that out of it. See, and that's, so, and that's the analysis, which is dope, which is literally <laughs> our job. Like I want to make it very clear. I do study movies and comics after the fact because we do that for the show. But like <laughs> I don't look at other people's opinions because when I look at Rotten Tomatoes, I think, man, there's a hundred people I don't know talking shit. Now, okay, honestly, though, like uh, Rotten Tomatoes is a whole can of worms. There is a distinction between whether we value someone else's opinion uh, and the fact that if you have heard from a bunch of people you trust that something is good, it's a good indication that you should go see that thing. That's real. Following an critic makes sense. I think looking at Expecting a... people to make part-time jobs out of researching like who their the things are is tough. There's a reason a Rotten Tomato score exists. And I think a Rotten Tomato score is fair if you know what it represents. Yeah. And I think a lot of people misrepresent what that's supposed to represent. And it has changed over time. It has. But, yeah. It's a color scale and that's a black and white system. I think there's going to improve and evolve as it goes along. I just think <laughs> that you should see everything ever. Uh, let's see. Next up, in the most obvious news of the week, Aww. the Kitty Pride movie is dead. Uh, I feel like we broke this uh, a while ago, but it is now officially not a thing. Tim Miller came out publicly and said it is dead as he is promoting Terminator. I'm so bummed because it was working title was 143, which we all theorized was Uncanny 143, which is the Christmas issue with Kitty Pride. <laughs> uh, and off the record, we found out that Bendis was working on it. And then on the record, everyone found out. And I was very bummed when it didn't come to play. Mm. So uh, there will be no Bendis scripted Tim Miller movie to make my Christmas miracles dream come true, but I'll find that script, Bendis. I'm gonna find it. Uh, well, okay. It's a challenge. Corey Crimes. <laughs> <laughs> you never see him coming. I'm just, I mean, this is the only warning you're gonna get. I'm gonna find that script. Uh, now we also, speaking of crimes, uh, this, this whole thing made me laugh and I can't find it in these posters. The Joker sequel already Where? has posters. They're like, I missed this one. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's okay. Mm. Uh, The Joker sequel already has posters because while filming, Joaquin Phoenix started playing around with the on-set photographer and photoshopped himself into classic cinema. Now, everyone's saying Joker's a one-off. They never wanted a sequel, all of these things. But every single time a sequel comes up, Joaquin and Todd Phillips contradict themselves, which I enjoy the hell out of. So literally the quote is, Long before the release or before we had any idea it would be successful, we talked about sequels. That's right. That is Joaquin saying it in quotes following. In the second or third week of shooting, I was like, Todd, can you start working on a sequel? There's way too much to explore. It was kind of in jest, but not really. Ooh. 
He didn't be throwing my hands up in the air. I, I'm sure, he literally guys. contradicts himself every week. It's amazing. He also says, I basically said you could take this character and put him in any movie. So I did a photo shoot with the onset photographer. We made posters where I photoshopped Joker into 10 classic movies. Rosemary's Baby, Raging Bull, Yentl. If you see it, you're like, yeah, I'd watch that movie. Yentl with Joker. That would be amazing. Okay, so here's the part that I'm going to drill in on. <laughs> it's where Joaquin, Photoshop, uh, Joaquin Phoenix says, I photoshopped. Joaquin Phoenix opened Photoshop <laughs> and put so... pictures of himself. As... I need this in my life. You, I, and I think I get it now because you love him because love he's him. Ryan Reynolds. Oh, he's a mad yeah, The Joker and Deadpool are very similar, and Joaquin Phoenix is just the artsy Ryan Reynolds. Like Joaquin Phoenix is like Ryan Reynolds is the jock that's actually a theater kid, and and Joaquin Phoenix is the kid that would get along with the jocks if he didn't sit at the other table. Like that's exactly what this is. Bizarre. I love Joaquin Phoenix. For the record, uh, I worked on the movie Inherent Vice, and Joaquin was a darling to me. Uh, I'm such a fan of his ma- particular blend of madness. Because, yes, I think he accidentally did, actually did open Photoshop and probably cut himself out and was like, Yentl with the Joker, which is my shit. Uh, um, and hilariously also referenced in Deadpool. Yes. Oh, good call. Deep cut. Excellent point. Uh, this is going to be a four-hour episode, guys, because we are just now getting into TV. Oh, uh, speeding through TV <laughs> quickly. Just it's an announcement. Pennyworth, the best show you probably didn't watch. Got a season two. It's Yay! on Epics. Epics is a network you didn't know still existed. Please give it your attention. Pennyworth is very good. Uh, Pennyworth was one of my favorite shows in, in this season. It's incredible. So it got a season two. Please give it your eyeballs. Uh, find Epics however you have cable or internet. I don't know how Epics works. I just watch it. Uh, it's very good. Uh, Felicity is back for the final season of Arrow. This was a giant bit of news for yeah, Arrowverse fans. This announcement was so sweet uh, because I have been talking about how nice it would be to somehow get through all of Crisis and this year without knowing in advance all of these amazing surprises, but that that is literally impossible because just... there's people have to fly to other countries and shoot and just we're all going to find out, so we're having the fun now as we go, piece <laughs> by piece. Um, and that is, uh, they they understand that that is the world they are living with. Uh, and so Stephen Amell got out in front of it and tweeted, there will be a lot of news coming out about our final episode over the next few months. I prefer when you hear it from us. Welcome back, Emily. Yeah. Uh, with a real cute gif of Felicity, or rather Emily shooting as Felicity. <laughs> uh, Mark Guggenheim, the executive producer, says, I prefer it too. We couldn't be happier or more thrilled. No other way to do our finale. You'll find out more about more old friends returning in the coming weeks. So, honestly, it would have felt super wrong for this show, of which she became a major part, uh, to go out without her. Uh, so, then this, like, sort of... The victory lap half season run that is closing out the world of Arrow. Uh, this is this is good. Uh, one of those like I would have been very disappointed if this weren't the case, but I'm very thrilled it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also this week. Winter Soldier and Falcon has begun production. That's right. The first live action Disney Plus show. Uh, I don't know if it's on the schedule first. Is it? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Can't uh, remember. Has, yeah, there's so much content. What a great time to be alive. There's we don't so have much exact release track. dates. We have like years for these, right? Yeah. Okay. To my knowledge. Uh, so that has begun production. I'm very excited. Also, as a side mission, if you don't watch uh, clips of Chris Evans on the internet, why do you have the internet? Uh, Chris Evans was on Jimmy Fallon this week and talked about how he accidentally told Anthony Mackie that he was Captain America first. I thought uh, he invited him over and did a whole thing. He invited him over for a football game, but casually was like, and I love that scene where I give you the shield. And then, like, 
He's like, what? He's like, oh, I've got the... And he brought him the sides, and then it became a whole thing. So I think they must have been like... Yeah, when they told this story in the initial post-movie things, they made it sound as if he like, like knew that he was breaking that news. Uh, this is much funnier. Yeah, the, the PR team was on it then. I think now the truth came out. During a football game, Anthony Mackie became Cap. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he talks about how they were just like having a football game in Atlanta while they were filming something and like accidentally told him. It's really endearing. It's really cute. Uh, so Chris Evans is on Fallon. Check it out. It's a very funny clip. But... It is also officially happening because Winter Soldier and Falcon is moving and grooving. Very exciting stuff. Now, this next news story is in the world of comics, and it's very funny to me because it involves Amy Dallin. <laughs> Strange Adventures. Now, I've been holding on to this news story for, like, well, since New York Comic Con. That joke Have we ma- not talked about this? No. Okay. That's why, like, we've briefly mentioned Strange Adventure. We have, we have mentioned the announcement. We didn't mention the quote. Like, this this link has never been shared. Because uh, yeah. you, you would, like, this that epiphany would have happened sooner. Right, that's true. So, we've talked about Strange Adventures. Now, I Tell was, the people which Strange Adventures you mean. Now, Strange Adventures was recently announced as a show, which is why this news article came up specifically, because Strange Adventures is getting an anthology series on HBO Max. On HBO Max. Which is based off a comic which is not the comic we're about to describe, which is why this is funny this came up. Yes. Side note, the show, uh, this, and I've had time to think about this because we, uh, we were packing a lot into the show today. But here's, no. here's, here's my pitch for why Strange Adventures hate HBO Max. What'd because I was like, what? It's like a DC Twilight Zone? What are we doing here? Here's what Strange Adventures on HBO Max is. An incubator. Writers and directors... Playing with individual bottle Playing with uh, DC characters and tonalities that don't need to match each other necessarily but need to be part of a unified home. Uh, That is your first credit on the way to, like, co-EPing your own DC show someday. Give me that. That's it. And, I mean, I feel bad because I should have immediately thought of that because that's what what they are in comics. Anthologies is where you're like, who did that killer 12-page story? Do they have a pitch? Like, and that's how we find a lot of our faves. So if I'm on the right track with that, thank you, Greg Berlanti, for cracking that door open to have a bunch of really interesting folks get their feet wet in the DC universe. Okay, back to the comics. Can I just say DC's killing it? Because DC's killing it. Now, (laughs) I will say the hard stop. This is a period. It's not an ellipsis. My most anticipated book of 2020 is Strange Adventures. This book is about, according to Tom King, a psychological exploration of the difference between the myths we tell ourselves about reality and the truth of what reality actually is. That is literally my life. That's what I do every morning. This is how I see the world. And Tom King is amongst my favorite writers of all time. So him telling it, oh, and it gets better. Now, the creative team is... Okay. Tom King, Mitch Garrods, and Evan Doc Shaner. I blew the the, the she just she, she announced there, the, but I got really excited. I get it, but now I'm going to build up to it. Okay, now the craziness about this is they'll be consistently grappling with two realities, but not in a strict literal sense, because in order to convey perspective in different moments, both Gerard's and Shaner's art will depict different takes on the same scenes, giving readers an understanding of the complex things happening to the person whose perspective you're meant to be seeing things from the both sides guys oh my god this is my book like someone made <laughs> someone made a book for me so uh you will recognize Corey's excitement from mr miracle <sighs> garrett's and king were the team on that book uh tom king and gabriel walt did a book called vision a couple mm-hmm, of years mm-hmm. ago that is resonating throughout the industry and possibly inspiring directly the disney plus series that we're getting wandavision uh so tom king has 
as is commented on, like, he has a through line with a lot of his books, which is the, the quote that Corey just described. Uh, but, yes, already very excited for Strange Adventures and the addition of artist Evan Doc Shaner, who is one of my absolute faves, who does a beautiful, clean, a little bit retro, but very beautiful and modern and accessible, like, just just one of my absolute top artists. Uh, the three of them are going to be magic together. I'm very excited for this book. Uh, and then Corey was teasing the fact that uh, I got a little freaked out when I looked at the link he sent for this uh, because when I was in New York, I was lucky enough to help run a couple of panels, moderate a couple of panels for DC. And one of them was the panel whose write-up this is. Guys, Amy did the panel that I've been holding on to this news for four months or a month. I just – I didn't I know. I already talked about it. I didn't it. know. Literally my most anticipated book was the panel you ran and I didn't know. Well, it was a, it was a wonderful was a, lineup a, of a bunch of creators. We had Joel Jones. We had Cammy Garcia. We had like a bunch of great people on that panel. I was very lucky to get to do it. It's also funny because the uh, Charles Pulliam Moore wrote this write-up that we are working from. And I love his work and had no idea he attended that panel and then wrote it up. All of this uh, is perfect. So thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, good things. And this show is increasingly just us being like, I like that person. Uh, but thank you for bearing with us, audience. We will promise to tell you every time we think someone's nice. We just like people. Uh, all right, we're going to speedy go through the poll list. Uh, just assume all these books are great and you should buy them. Undiscovered Country, number one. Oh, be. Uh, the 30-second pitch. It is 30 years into the future. America has been sealed off. What's going on in there? Nobody knows. There's a worldwide plague to solve it. we got to go back in over that wall. Uh, I'm sure there will be no political resonance at all. Mm. It's uh, Scott Snyder and Charles, Charles Sewell. Sewell. Uh, and uh, Common Coley, right? Yeah. Uh, are the team on this? It's probably been pre-optioned seven times over. Yeah. Come on, look at this. You'll see it in theaters soon, or TV. Uh, we also <laughs> got November. comics first. Yes. November, hardcover, indie. I don't know this one. Matt frickin' Fraction. I know him. He's great. Uh, and Elsa Charatier, uh, it's the beginning of a multi-part series. They are pushing each other to do more interesting, daring, riskier storytelling stuff. Uh, so it's going to be amazing. We also have a Luther trade paperback, which is a black label re-release of a comic I missed. Uh, it is by a team I love very much, Brian Azzarello and I believe Lee Bermejo. Uh, and I'm very excited for it. The team who did that Joker graphic novel that made people be like, oh, interesting, self-contained stories about the Joker. Huh? I've, uh, I've sold a number of those in comic book shopping and a little book called Mr. Miracle, which is why maybe I'm excited for Strange Adventures. These next two we will pair together. You should be reading New Mutants number one and you should be reading X-Force number one. As soon as possible. And also as I uh, blew Amy's mind on the l- video <laughs> episode, I want to point out that four weeks ago a little book called X-Men came out. Three weeks ago a little book called Marauders came out. Two weeks ago a little book called Excalibur came out. And last week, this week I mean, a book called New Mutants comes out, which means that spells X-Men. What the fuck? It's insane. Jonathan Hickman. Jonathan Hickman. I'm just impressed. And or your editor, whoever made this happen, uh, tweet us. Please tell us who's responsible. Now, How did we miss it? Every single week our Twitter questions get longer because I promise you we're looking at them and they're being held. They're on this docket. We don't have time for them today. Know that they're coming. But the last thing of the week is Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> did you see this? I did because they're doing a play yeah, I, I was 25 minutes from seeing it when I was in London. Ugh. I missed the, uh, the curtain by 25. They wouldn't sell me a ticket. So I was Aww. there. I ran up. I was already too late into the show. Tom Hiddleston and Charlie Cox are doing a play together in London. And Tom Hiddleston dressed as Daredevil and Charlie Cox dressed as Loki. I tweeted out I consider that canon because body swapping is canon in comics. Sure. It is now canon in the MCU that Charlie Cox has played Loki <laughs> and Tom Hiddleston has played Daredevil. I love this. Uh, also, for Halloween, Jensen Ackles dressed as Batman on a rooftop at a hotel because yes. And of course, Blink-182, yes, all three of them dressed as the Joker for a concert. All three of them are Joaquin's Joker. 
We live in nerdy times. They are delightful. I love Halloween being uh, so nerdy. What did you do for Halloween? Co- uh, costume-wise. I pulled out, well, I got to on the on our DC show. We, you looked awesome. We got, thank you. Uh, they gave us, like, the super pro uh, help be- getting into costumes, and I got to be Raven from Titans. Pretty dope. So much fun. And then uh, for my own Halloween, I pulled out my trusty Kigurumi of Beast from the X-Men animated series. So still, both very nerdy, very yeah. on brand. <laughs> uh, I was at, I did too many parties this year, but the two nerdy costumes, I will I will publicly say. Uh, for one night, I was Disney+. Plus. Uh, I wore Marvel pants, a Deadpool mask, a Aladdin shirt, a Star Wars jacket, and I went as a streaming service. And uh, it was an industry party, so I said I was the biggest villain to the entertainment industry of all streaming. Uh, (laughs) And then (laughs) there's nothing scarier than the death of cinema. Uh, And then for uh, another party, I was very tired because I went to too many parties. So I dressed as Peter B. Parker, and it was perfect because I was in sweatpants and a onesie, and I was so comfy. But I did wear mixed match shoes, and I straightened my hair and shaved. Uh, and you you all sent us some wonderful pictures. We will get, run down some shout-outs next time, but please keep sending those if you did a cool comic book costume. Yes, they are, they are in really the Twitter. Happy. Please do send more. They are in the Twitter. Amy is right. Uh, but we have ran a very long show. We love you very much. And until next week, stay, stay sweaty. sweaty. Stay little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game. So that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. (sighs) Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.